7 million bikes, a Vietnam podcast. My name is Neil McKay and I'm your host. This is season six. Don't forget you can go back through the whole catalogue and find all five seasons of 7 million bikes. Make sure you subscribe and turn on the notifications. Follow 7 million bikes on Facebook. Go on there and give it a like. We're also on Instagram. If you do enjoy this content, then please go on the link in the notes for patreon.com and you can become a member of a Vietnam podcast and you get some cool benefits like free tickets. You'll get early bonus content as well. If you just want to buy me a coffee, there's also a link in the show notes. You can send me a coffee as well. So thank you very much to the previous people that sent me coffees. They were very much enjoyed. So very, very much appreciated. Season six is sponsored by our good friends over at Eddie's New York Deli and Diner. If you are in Saigon, then make sure you go check them out. Tell them that 7 Million Bikes sent you. They got two locations now, one in D2 and one in District 1. If you've seen the show Riverdale on Netflix, you'll know exactly what Eddie's is like. It's a slice of home comfort no matter where you're from in the world. Make sure you check out Eddie's New York Deli and Diner in D1, D2 and the Takashimaya Mall until June 7th. So enjoy 7 Million Bikes, a Vietnam podcast. My guest today is all the way from the US. He's from Boston, so he's a fellow New England Patriots fan like myself, but don't hate us for that. He worked in insurance for 19 years. You can hate him for that, actually. Before he made the leap, to move to Vietnam, where he's now hosted some shows on YouTube, and he's also branching out into writing his first published article soon as well. So my guest today is Tony Fornaro. Yeah, well done. You said the name right too. That's a struggle for most. I was worried. As it came out of my mouth, I was like, there's two R's in this name. And as a Scotsman, that is a, that's a challenge. The str- one of the str- strangest phenomenons I've experienced since moving to Saigon is you are like, the, not that you are from Rhode Island, obviously, but you are like the f- fifth or sixth or seventh person that I've met in Vietnam that has either lived in or been from Rhode Island, which is like, if you don't know what Rhode Island is, it is tiny, teeny, tiny. So it's not like saying you're from Boston or even New England or Massachusetts. It's Rhode Island is so small that the fact that there's been six or seven people that I've met in Saigon, Vietnam, that has that have that are from there or live there is so odd to me. I would think Boston, maybe a little bit more common. Rhode Island, no, very very strange. I mean, I left 2007, 14 years ago, and I've only met yeah less than a handful of people since I left. I mean, but I don't know. I can't remember the population, but I do remember you can drive from south to north Rhode Island in three hours. Yeah. That's how small it is. Whereas in Texas, like three hours is down the road, right? Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, Rhode Island's got like, don't quote me on this, but I think like, you know, 50 people living there. Like it's (laughs) like, it's just, it's ridiculously ridiculous. It's a, it's a postage stamp. It's really tiny. So that's why it just is like, how did you get here? Meanwhile, I mean, I'm from not far from there. So um, you worked in insurance for 19 years now. Uh, people can't see you, but they will see the picture of you. You are covered in tattoos. You have a luscious, beautiful beard that I'm very jealous of. Now, people can't see me either, but I've decided I'm going to try my best to grow a small beard during this. Well, right now we're in a kind of, people call it a lockdown, but we're not really in a lockdown because we can leave the house and everything, but schools have gone online, gatherings are, are prohibited and things like that. So things, I call it more of a slowdown, but there are some restrictions right now in Vietnam. So I've decided I'm going to grow out what I can. Now, I've done Movember every year for the last four years. Terribly so. Anyone who knows me or has seen my picture, I have a real baby face. You know, I was like 20 years old and I was still looked like I was 16. And so my, but my last Movember was my most successful one. After four years, I had a pretty decent mustache. So this time I'm going to try and grow out the beard, but I'm never going to get one as good as you. I was going to say, so by looking at you, you would think, baby face, he can't grow a beard. But I feel like Scotsmen have grown some pretty impressive beards historically. Did you just not get that beard gene? Yeah, don't make me feel bad. Yeah, no, I didn't didn't get that. But that's okay. So uh, my point being, though, you don't look like someone, you look like a a rock and roll star, to be honest. Um, That doesn't mean like you look like you're on drugs or anything like that. Um, but you don't look like an insurance agent. So how did you go from, did you have an, a sexy insurance job? Were you out catching like people in committing insurance fraud while you were undercover, like things like that? Or, or were you pushing pens? Amazing. Yeah. I was like, 
a, I was one of the sexy. We were, I did the sexy insurance job. Uh, I think I look I look like this, uh, which I didn't look like this when I started. I was 21 or 22 when I started. I was I think I might have had a little sad goatee, but no tattoos and nothing like that. Uh, I don't think anyone sets out and says I'm going to be an underwriter. I'm going to be an in insurance. So. I just, as I grew into myself and became me, uh, I started Who getting- Who were you before? A good, great question. <laughs> great question. Uh, not me, not this guy. Um, I was like 15 different people. But um, yeah, no, I mean, I, I luckily I got on with that company when it was so new and so small. And I was, and it, I was able to build up enough clout that when I started getting tattoos, it wasn't like, you're fired. I kind of got grandfathered in and rules. But I- I will say so they did have rules to say you couldn't have tattoos. No, like not formally, because it was a it was a privately owned company. It was like one guy ran the whole show, um, but no one else there. He would, I think, after that, he would not have probably hired anyone else who had them. So if you walked in with two sleeves, he probably would say he'd probably reject you. Um, now let's be clear: you don't have neck tattoos and face tattoos. It's just some sleeves on his arms. It's not. Yeah. It's not too severe. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, it's a beard and sleeves. But I remember even at the time, he like when I grew the full beard out, even from the goatee. The owner of my company at the time, even then, was like what are you doing? You look terrible. Like you should shave it. You're, you know, so he was very much not supportive of the beard or the tattoos. And even almost 20 years in, he would still once or twice a year be like, when are you going to shave that beard? Like this has been going on for 19 years. I don't think, I think it's here to stay. You're just going to have to deal with it. But uh, yeah, no. So definitely did not set out to be in insurance. No one really does. I was like you said, I was a pencil pusher, frankly. Uh, I I will absolutely not bore anyone who's listening to this with details about underwriting and the insurance world. But it was a standard nine to five desk job that was very boring, very monotonous, and kind of soul crushing. Yeah. It's funny because I've never really done a job like that for very, I've had a couple of office jobs, but I, I, I've always found it really interesting. And I'm, this is a weird question, okay, and then I'll, I'll explain the question. Did you play a lot of video games? No. No. Because, so I've never been a video gamer, right? I've never really owned a video game console. And I understand the appeal of it. It looks super fun if you get into it. But I was thinking the other day, I was like, who has time to play video games? Like, I, I literally, I can't remember at any point in my life when I would have had time to go and sit. And because I know you get sucked into video games and you play it for two or three hours. I'll correct myself. I had time during university when I used to play a soccer game. Anyone will know it. It's called Championship Manager, Champ Manager, where you would stay up till three in the morning running your own football team. And it was like, but that was the only time in my life I had the time to do that. So I was thinking, who has the time to play video games all night? And then I thought, well, maybe it's people like you, your previous position who do have those soul-crushing, monotonous nine-to-five jobs, which I've never had, so I don't really understand who then when they go home at night, it's okay, I'm going to sit on the couch and play video games for three hours. And I'm not saying that's a bad thing. I was just trying to understand who has the time to do that. Yeah, I mean, I played them when I was a kid. You know what I mean? I just, I mean, and it's like, and I just kind of got past it. Um, yeah, they're probably really, I don't know. I guess it never really, I played um, back in the US, like I played Madden, the the American football game. All my friends played All that. I did in Rhode Island. Yeah, so I mean, I, my friends loved it. So we would play, but even that I stopped at some point. Um, but you're right though. Like not when you have a nine to five job, you actually do have like, you okay, nine to five. In my case, even sometimes at some point it'd be more like eight to four, 30, eight to four you whatever you do you go to the gym or you run some errands or i remember like right up until i came here i was basically like going to work going to like the gym cooking and eating dinner and i was in bed watching tv by like 8 like 7:45 like not asleep but kind of powering down for the night so if i had wanted to play video games i could have i definitely had that time it was it was routine. It was, I had a very uh, like rigid routine, which is obviously not the life I have now. And there's something to be said for that life, I guess. I've never had that life because I've moved so much and I've moved from jobs in cities and countries and, and whatnot. I think there's probably a tiny part of me that like, that sounds awesome. But at the same time, I would never have, I would never do it because it's not what I've done. 
So what did you, so if you weren't, can I ask you a question? So if you weren't like, if you've, ne- you've never had a routine job like that, like what has been from, I don't know, from school on, how, like, how have you, how did you avoid not having to have that, that nine to five? Well, so I ended up in Rhode Island, worked on a summer camp, which I did on and off for five years, worked hospitality. Uh, then I did street fundraising. So I was one of those people on the street. I did that for four years, four and a half years, raising money for charity. Then from then, that was the first time after that was when I moved into the regular nine to five job, where I, but working for charity still. So I, I loved that. I was super passionate about it. I was learning new things. So I was still doing fundraising, but I was doing it from behind a computer and, and a desk. But I was also doing, at the same time though, that's why I loved my job. I was doing like community events. So I was going out and I was doing talks. I ran our open day, which had like 10,000 people come in and, and things like that. So my job was always really fun. And then... Um, yeah, and then from then I went to teach English. And then, again, that's not a normal nine-to-five job. Completely different hours, evenings, weekends, afternoons, morning, any like literally any time of the day or night you could be doing that. And then moving on from English teaching, I did have a nine-to-five job before before the end of last year. But again, I was in the charity sector here in Vietnam, so super interesting, super passionate. And then now I do comedy podcasts and events. Yeah, so that's so that's what I mean. So there were times where it sounded like you were at a computer for hours, but you a you were doing work that you cared about and that you were passionate about. I did not have that same experience, but you were also supplementing that by going out and you were being able to con- uh, be in contact with people, and so that was sort of like lifting you up. Like you don't you don't get. I never got filled up or or lifted up by talking to a lawyer or um, an insurance executive. So mine was really, it was not only the nine to five, but what I was doing in those hours that just beat me down over all that time. So what did you do then? Move to Vietnam to overcome that? Is that, is that the case? Or what, so what then? You were getting to that stage where you were going to bed at eight o'clock, crying yourself to sleep. <laughs> that's right. No, that's not. It's I. I did most of my crying in the shower. Thank you. But uh, no, I. But it. So it was a slow burn. So it was as I got established enough in my job through my twenty. I didn't start traveling internationally until my early thirties. So once I started doing that, like many people who kind of fall in love or uh, are passionate about traveling, that gets in you. you. It changes you. It changes you. It 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 expands your horizons it changes your perspective it, it gives you real empathy and I've said that many times um, because it's true so as I started to travel and open expand my horizons or just change change completely completely change from my early 30s even into my late 30s I was a really a different person uh the sort of seeds started to get planted about maybe you know you're ha- when you're a, when you're traveling you are alive or you're a different person you're happy that's a change you feel joy uh which i really didn't feel back home or like or you just i could talk to people i would go out of my way to avoid talking to people at home and here i'm like i traveled all this way so i could sit in like a, a pub or 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 go to some some tourist destination and just chat with people and it really was some of the best times in my life having random conversations with absolute strangers that were just like mind blowing or heart filling and just lifted me up. So it was a slow progression to get from traveling in my early 30s to giving up a career, leaving America at 41. Wow. And I think a lot of people listening, obviously, we have a lot of expats that listen and from people around the world maybe who are listening who are on the same journey as you, maybe listening to this podcast because they're thinking about coming to Vietnam. I know we have some listeners that tune in for that reason. Uh, They probably really relate to that. And it's really igniting my senses because it is reminding me because I I had the same experience, but when I was 20, basically. So I left Scotland when I was 20 and it just literally blew my mind. You know, and what you talk, I forget about how much because it's been so long now for me and I'm not trying to be show off or arrogant it's just half of my life has been almost out of Scotland and the first quarter I was like seven years old and younger so that doesn't really count so all of my adult life has been out of Scotland and I forgot or I've forgotten to you mentioned it there about that experience of leaving for the first time and talking to new people and having new experiences and really 
and people who are listening who've had the experience, you'll know what we're talking about. Having the physical feeling of your mind expanding. It's a real physical thing. Like when people talk about, you know that, oh, travel broadens the horizons and it, it's, you know, it comes from somewhere. But when you do it and you experience it, you're like, oh no, yeah, shit. No, it really, really does. Like it actually like that's, and I've talked about this. I'm pretty sure I've mentioned it on the podcast. Yeah, I have. I've talked about it with some of our previous guests. I was like a, a homophobe before I left Scotland. You know, for no reason at all, other than the fact that I like I just hung out with people that went to the football and we were all men and drunk beer and all of that stuff, right? And then I went to America for the first time. Someone who worked on the summer camp was bisexual. He was super cool. And instantly I was just like, yeah, you're an idiot. What, what does it matter? And it just changed like in an instant. Yeah, because that's, that's sort of what I mean about like empathy. It's like because you you got out of that very myopic tribal thing and once you started to see how other people were or how other cultures or different you know people with different whatever it is um live and then you are like talking with them and and connecting with them on a human level you're just like yeah I'm, i must be an idiot because like it makes no sense but what you were saying before about you're like it like your your mind there is like almost a physical thing i never even thought of it like that but like i've always thought of it as like you know i'll say my my perspective changed or my, my, whatever, I, I had empathy or my horizons open, but it's true. It's like, I, you could, there's like a swelling of like your heart, your mind, you really do. It's an emotional thing, but like physically kind of changed yeah. you too. It's really, a, I've never thought of it that way, but that's really true. I think I only just thought of it like that as you were talking, it made me think about it. And I think I have thought of this part of it before. I think it ties into your mind map expands, right? So where you're from in, in New England, where I'm from in Glasgow, you've, you've got a very set routine. And I'm, I've seen some stat about most people cover the same ground. It's like 80% because you're going to work every day or you're going to the gym, like you're saying, or school or whatever. So most of your life, you're traveling the same path. And so your world is very small. And maybe a couple of weeks a year, you'll go for a holiday or whatnot, or you'll go a weekend away. But it's that this is something I thought of like 20 years ago. As soon as you then leave your home country, you start to travel it, and maybe that ties into the physical feeling because your your mind map has expanded. So before your mind only knew this part, but now suddenly your mind knows that this exists, that exists there somewhere. And I think maybe that ties into the the physical feeling of it. I like <laughs> mind map is a really cool term too. Yeah, I think that's right. I think it's and then it's your your mind map expands, but it's like and then everything else follows. It's like your heart and your and what's what what. Uh, you're passionate about and your love of different foods and then different cultures and then people. So it is, it's start, you're the mind map, but your whole, it's the whole being map really expands and folds out. Like you said. So instead of like that one, it's like a, it's like a, a horse with blinders. You take it off and then you see, you, you see instead of 10% of the puzzle, you see 90 or a hundred. And it's true. And it's like, once you've physically gone to places that gets in you and it's hard. It's kind of impossible to go back. And that's why I think a lot of people do leave their countries um, because when you go back, that's when you start feeling uh, like a stranger. That's when you, you're like, I'm not at home here. I'm not like, I mean, like... I had that after my first summer away. I went back and I was like, whoa. So I'm not, that's why I've never really lived in Scotland since. Yeah, and it's like, it's, I didn't, I didn't know, it, and it took me a while, I'd go away, you go to your, you know, as an American, you're going to Spain, you're going to Paris and Amsterdam, and you're having fun, but I, it, it took a while before I was like, wait, I'm kind, I started to like, when you get back into that routine, the nine to five, when you start to feel depression, or, or just sad in some way, or just, lacking something like you oh I liked my life there a lot better and you realize like it is that build where it becomes cliche but like am I really living for the two or three weeks abroad that I can take you know like Americans Americans take one to two weeks a year they work 40, 40 hours I mean I worked more than 40 hours when I first started but most people are working 50 55 60 so I mean you're working a ton you are kind of getting sick a lot because you're working too much, you're not sleeping, and you're maybe taking one vacation or holiday a year for a week, 10 days, if you're lucky two weeks, and that's if you're lucky. And so you're not, that's that cycle of you're not really living, and it's it's so upsetting uh, and so depressing, and I think that's why a lot of us leave. Greatest country in the world, right? Greatest country in the world. <laughs> Don't even get me started. Yeah. But this is, I mean, and I, I talk about it on stage 
as well in, in joke form because it's something I lived in America, loved it there. Like, I wanted to stay there. I'm so glad I didn't know. Like, because, again, that was my first experience abroad. So I was like, oh, this is amazing. I want to live here. And thankfully, I didn't get the chance to live there. And then I moved on. And people do think America is the greatest country in the world. And it is for some people. But for the vast majority, and I think most people who don't know Americans or don't really know American culture wouldn't know what the things you rattled off there that you actually have to work 50, 60 hours a week, still get paid for 40. You get one or two weeks off a year paid if you're lucky. No paid maternity leave unless your company gives it. No unemployment benefits if you lose your job. If you lose your job, you don't have health insurance. Like, you don't get free education. You don't get free... Like, I mean, in Scotland right now, you get free prescription medication. Absolutely free. Do you know what they introduced last year? Free tampons. <laughs> yeah, there's, there's, so you, the, the word is free. If you put free in front of it as it relates to America or American, there's nothing that follows it. Like nothing, everything in America is for profit. Everything. So when everything is for profit, it really slows down the process of, society and government because nothing is free, which means there's forms to fill out and insurance and health thing. And then I'm standing in line and doing like, it is, like you said, it's, it's the greatest, it was the greatest country in the world for the people it was designed to be the greatest country in the world for. I personally don't think it has been that for a long time, but that's just my own biased mm. opinion. But what would you I, say I that's like so. post-World War II for white people? Yeah. I mean, that's like, you're asking if that's what... Yes, I think that's, I mean, it was like, I mean, it's set up for, it was, I think, in most part set up for white men. I mean, I mean, I think that's fair. Uh, you look at, it's just, I mean, I, not to get into like the, all that sort of like that particular discussion, but I mean, yeah, the, America has a, uh, we'll be gentle and say a, a troubled history and a troubled past, uh, like a lot of countries do. But yeah, I mean, it was, I think that it's, I can tell you that from my experience, while I didn't have, uh, I wouldn't say I had a difficult childhood and I didn't really have to struggle. I was a white male in America. I didn't have to like really struggle. Um, by the time I left, one of the reasons was that I did not feel, I did not identify with being American, whatever that means, whatever an American value or culture is, I didn't see it. And the things that I was hearing and the temperature and the tone of the climate being there was uh, very unpleasant to me. And it was it was not the reason, but it contributed to me leaving. I just did not feel comfortable there. and I didn't want to live there anymore. And you'll have noticed this, that Americans who have been abroad or who live abroad are completely different to Americans who live there. I mean, I, that's right. And I think, I mean, if you, if you've moved, uh, you're probably having that similar mindset. It's like, you, I, I have talked to a couple that have been like, yeah, no, same. I, I didn't like the, 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 what I was seeing and hearing on TV. I didn't like, I mean, I had coworkers, friends that were saying just vile stuff that I just didn't, I was like, that's so, like, first of all, what you're saying is clearly like a lie, but beyond that, it's just so ignorant and just terrible but yeah i think if you've if you are of the mindset to have left america for a country x uh you're probably not a quote-unquote typical american and i'm always i'm always weary not to paint everyone with the same brush whatever we, whatever topic we're talking about and so if you're an american who hasn't left america it doesn't mean you're a bad person it doesn't mean that you're a racist or it doesn't mean that you're closed-minded I still have lots of good friends who live in America and are amazing people, and I'm sure you do as well. But you can see a difference in the kind of mindset or the way that Americans talk to the ones that are abroad. And something I've seen posted before, um, you really don't meet many racists when you travel, right? Like racists, I don't. this might be completely wildly inaccurate, but I feel like they don't really leave their home country or their probably hometown. Yeah, I would probably in general tend to agree. It's like, yeah, r racists are usually like, well, you even said like, you're like, I was homophobic. It's like people who are racist or homophobic or just, if you want to use the broader term, ignorant of something, it's because they've heard about things conceptually. It's like, you know, like in America, like there's a like, 
well, oh, oh, so everything is racist? It's like, n- well, no, not exactly, but a lot of stuff is. But if your mindset is nothing is racist, we, we beat racism back in the 60s. Like, there's a black president, so got you there, buddy. Like, no, that's not, like, you're not understanding what's going on because you're. it's willful ignorance. It's, you just have, you haven't had your, uh, your mind expanded, your heart, the mind map thing. Your world is very small. You know, in New England, a lot of people, it's like, I'm from New England. Where do you vacation? Florida or the Cape? Uh, maybe I went to Jamaica one time. Maybe I was in the Bahamas uh, for a, a minute. And that's, you, you're, you're, you're not seeing the world. You're not talking to people. You're not, maybe you were abroad and then like you met someone who was not like you, who you had previously said some bad things about in general, uh, but then you met them and that changes. That's humanity. This is empathy. This is what I'm talking about. So it's like, if you don't have that experience or you don't, you have the option to it, to do it, but don't, or you don't have the means to do it. Your, your world is going to be small. And in that smallness, you will think small, which is typically ends up being bigoted or racist or misogynistic or whatever because you that's all you know and you don't even know that that's wrong and again let's be clear just because if you live in america and you haven't left there it doesn't mean you're racist that's not what we're saying but most of the people who are racist have not left i think that's probably i mean we're we're speculating or general yeah. generalizing but yeah because you, when you true. travel and no matter what country people you meet where they're from, they're generally pretty cool and pretty open-minded and pretty liberal, I guess, is the best way to put it. Like, I've not really met many people who have left their home country or live in another country who are not liberal. I'm not saying there's none, but I'm saying there's not many. I I, I think it lends itself to being a bit more liberal Mm. than conservative. I do. I believe that, yeah. This season, we are proud to be partnered with and sponsored by Eddie's New York Deli and Diner. They are one of my favorite places to go in Saigon. You're always greeted with a big smile. You can get delivery from Eddie's. They are the delivery experts, so if you don't want to leave the house, hit them up on Facebook Messenger. They'll get back to you immediately, or you can also get them on Grab as well. As I said, I've been going to Eddie's since they've opened three years ago. It is one of my go-to places in Saigon, so please check it out. I've got, a, I've got a story for you. Um, now, one of the sad things, I guess, right, is when when someone does travel or move or leave and then they bring those opinions with them, right? So that, that small percent of people who do. Now, I've got, this is a bit of a sad story. So not sad in terms of depressing, but sad in terms of the topic we're talking about. Now, I was a, a Rangers fan growing up, Glasgow Rangers, which means that you're predominantly Protestant and Glasgow Celtic are Catholic, right? And that comes down to the school you go to. It, well, obviously, it comes down to your family, but then it, it filters into which school you go to, which football team you support. So if you go to the non-denominational school, you're generally a Rangers fan. If you go to the Catholic school, you're generally a Celtic fan. And from five years old, you know that you hate each other, right? <laughs> this is an education for me so okay, far. Right. Yeah. So this is how it works in Scotland. And so, I mean, if you want to know someone's religion, you don't need to ask what religion are you. You say, what school did you go to? And that used to be used to discriminate people for jobs and things like that. You you can't put on a job application what religion you are, but you do have to put down what school you went to. So if it was St. Ninian, St. Mary, St. Paul, St. Joseph's, right away, like, okay, he's a Catholic, right? Wow. So so that that's inbred into the system in Scotland. And it's still there, but I think it's better now, like most things, societies become more liberal. But to go back to my story, so... Uh, I was living in New England at the time. I was actually in New York for a, a vacation that weekend. And Celtic, who's not my team, were playing, and I remember it clearly, were playing Dunfermline, which is a small team, in the Scottish Cup final. I've looked it up before to corroborate my memory, which is, is correct. It would have been about mid-May because that's when the Scottish Cup final is. Now... Uh, again, I'd had this experience where I'm now living in America, my mind is open, I loved everyone, you know, and this is amazing, you know, the life is so good, everyone's so good, it's so great, the summer camp had been this enriching experience, met all these amazing people from around the world, and America as well, and I'd just gotten a brand new Rangers away kit, I still remember it, I had the blue and red sash across the middle, people, if you're any Rangers fans listening, you know the ones I'm talking about from about 2000, 2001, so I just got this brand new Rangers top and I was like, right, I'm going to find uh, a bar to watch this game in New York, right? So I went on, I mean, this is this shows my age. This was pre-Facebook, I think even pre-MySpace. It was like, I literally went on like, when remember you used to have like forums? 
yeah. Like fan forum. So I went on like a Rangers New York, sorry, a Rangers American fan forum. Or it might have even just been a Rangers fan forum. And it was like, hey, you know, I'm from Glasgow. I'm in New York. I'm looking for a bar to watch the Celtic game. Can anyone recommend a bar? So someone recommended a bar. Couldn't find it. Couldn't find it. Eventually found it with a friend. Brand new Rangers top on. And uh, we were late. The game had kicked off and the game started at, I can't remember, 3 o'clock or whatever the time was. It was about 3.15. I walked in, opened the door. And I got the door open about a foot. And this whole bar was full of Celtic fans, like full, which is green and white hoops, like a really distinctive jersey. And so I didn't even get a foot in the door. I didn't even get the foot the door open. It was packed. And this guy just looked at me up and down. He's like, you've got to be fucking kidding me. <laughs> and like a real strong Irish accent. And I was like, okay, bye. Closed the door and took my friend. and was like, come on, let's go, let's go. And they're like, what, what, what? I was like, come on, let's go, let's go. And like just walked as fast as I could. So what I later found out, because I went back on this fan forum and I was like, to explain what had happened. And they were like, who told you to go there? That's the biggest pro-IRA Republican Celtic fan bar in New York. That was like a death sentence that they gave you. And I wore my brand new Rangers top as well, which I was actually thankful for because if I'd worn normal clothes, I would have just walked right in, right. ordered a beer, and then probably said something. And they'd be like, wait, you're a Rangers fan? You know what I mean? So for me, the sad part was I was, what's 3,000 miles from Glasgow to New York, right? 3,000 miles away from bigotry, from hatred, from sectarianism. I was like, yeah, I'm going to go watch the game. We're in a neutral territory. I'm going to wear my new Rangers top. I'm going to have some banter, some fun. And I literally got chased out before I even got my foot in the door. And so the sad part is, you know, there are, and I didn't, I naive at the time, only 20, didn't really think about New York having a massive Irish Catholic population which would be then by definition or default Celtic fans. Obviously, a lot of Irish immigrants as well, so they would be Celtic fans. So this bar was for them, not, not for me. This was like 2001, you said? About that, 2000, 2001. So how, do, you know, do you remember how old you were? What, I mean, 18, 19. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Oh, and the kicker was the other team had just scored a goal. Your team? So it wasn't even my team that was playing. It was just another random team. So it was my rival against a small team. So I was just wanting to go to neutral and just enjoy the game. And part of the reason, I think, when I opened the door, the bar was silent, was the other team. So, and again, I've looked back on it. The other team took the lead after about 18 minutes. Celtic went on to win it in the end. But I think that was the kicker as well. I opened the door, brand new Rangers top, like, hello. And... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> You're probably lucky that nothing that but you just like put foot in the door. The guy was like, "Fuck off!" And yeah. okay, bye. See yeah, 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 totally lucky. Yeah, yeah. that's great. I mean, yeah, I mean that's that's an interesting experience too. It's like, yeah, so I've not, so I haven't had. That's the thing. This is my first. So like you're in your like late teens or whatever it is. Like I have not had. I've only lived abroad for the last year and a half as a much older person than that, double that age, more than that. So. It's like I haven't, I haven't had that. That that scenario could never happen here. Obviously, it's like not possible just because of like everything that happened. That like it's impossible to happen here. Uh, but that's that's so. It's very interesting to hear. Like, yeah, if you're a fan of this club, then this means you're this, and then I can use that to discriminate. You can be discriminated against in America for many different reasons, but they're just kind of more obvious. Versus like, oh, you like. Celtic or whatever it is like you you know I don't like that you're you know and this was another thing that changed for me traveling was I instantly stopped being a bigot I guess yeah. I mean and I was never a bigot so there's this weird thing in Glasgow where like my best friend was a Celtic fan and we'd go to games sit in different ends of the stadium shout abuse at the team shout abuse at the block of fans you know and then we'd meet up for a beer afterwards and we're best friends and I had people who were the biggest hypocrites who would try and pretend they're anti-Catholic, sing all these songs and blah, blah, blah. And then they'd go home to their Catholic wife and kids. You know what I mean? So there, there, it was a, a kind of known thing of like weekend bigots. And then a couple of friends who took it too far and they, they wanted to be full-time bigots. And I distanced myself from them pretty quickly. But again, that was something when I left and I traveled and I was like, yeah, I mean, I'm not into that at all. Like, I can't believe I used to sing these songs, literally sing songs about killing Catholics. Like that was what you would do. Go to this so tribal. You would sing these songs. We would go to bars. And the jukebox would be all songs of like uh, anti-Catholic songs. So, 
It's a, for me, it's a, when you're talking about earlier, you said, I made the joke and I said, oh, who were you before? And you said, oh, well, there's been 15 different versions of me. I related to that when you said that as well, because I, I've been through that, who I am now. I still feel I'm the same person, but I'm not a big and I'm not a homophobe. So that's a massive change. For the better, yeah. I mean, like, but that's, I mean, so it's like, I was never, I never considered myself like, I mean, I was in, you mentioned like the Red Sox at one point. I think like, I used to have season tickets with my friends. You hear some bat, like really in the bleachers, you hear some vile stuff. Mostly it's actually misogynistic, not racist, but it's not good. It's all terrible language. But, but I, so growing up, I never thought I'm a bigot or I'm racist or I'm misogynistic, but now uh, in the in the year 2000 and i almost said 2001 yeah that's where i mean now we're, we're perpetually in 2001 in, in in 2021 and being the age i am now it's like i've been educated more now from friends who it's like yeah you weren't an overt racist or you weren't overtly misogynistic but there are things that were just built into you that you didn't even understand you didn't you thought you were an ally you thought you were one of the good ones but there's just internalized stuff stuff in in the system that was set up to benefit me that I didn't understand that I was probably that I was that I was not as helpful as I should have been or I wasn't as aware and I'm so I was complicit in a lot of those things too so that's this whole thing like I like to hear about it's cool to hear about um or heartening to hear about I used to be this. I didn't even know it was wrong, even though this vert, like the older version, he was like, what, what is wrong with you? How could you be this ignorant? It just felt normal or tribal, like you said. And when I said like 15 different people, like I, it is true. Like from forget about my twenties, that's like a whole other story. But even in my thirties, it's three, four different people. And now in now I'm a different person. No, that's not a trite or a, a being facetious. I'm a different person now than I was probably in like January. I've just, you. I'm trying to sort it all out and constantly grow. I'll usually fall on my face and have something happen to me where something just is traumatic or something like this, like most people do. And I'm trying to figure out, I still screw it up all the time. I'm far from perfect and I'm still not where I need to be or want to be. But like, most of the things that are coming for me are is a sincere effort. I'm trying to uh, just be a better person and sort sort uh, life out here because, as you know, life in general is hard. Life in Saigon is as it's not a nine to five routine, but it's super chaotic. Yeah, well, we won't we won't go into the chaoticness. It's definitely not a word. Chaoticness? No, I is think it? it might be. Maybe. It is now. I mean, I'm an English teacher, so yeah. Well, I love it. Was it Mitch Hedberg that said, yeah, all worlds are made up? Mm. I was like, yeah. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> no, that's true. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> Took you a second. Took me a second. Like, wait, no, yeah. that's that's literally yeah. true. Yeah. 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 So tell me quickly, how did you end up in Saigon then? Why did you come to Vietnam? Yeah. So it was like a combination of had been travel traveling for many, many years, had that I had a, a passion for traveling, uh, was unhappy uh, at work at home, was unhappy with the climate of the country. And uh, I had been, uh, it's pretty cliche or pretty common, but I had been a big fan of Anthony Bourdain and was super influenced by him. And obviously his passion for Vietnam was a fueling of my passion for Vietnam as well. And uh, so I had really wanted to come here and try the food and and meet the people and experience this country. So a lot of factors went into it. The person I was dating at the time was open to that as well. And it just sort of, I had been in Thailand um, on a vacation the previous January. And by that February, we had purchased tickets, one-way ticket to come here. And we were here by the end of the year. So it was a, a, a culmination of a lot of travel, a lot of change, personal change. And um feeling listless and unhappy at home and kind of wanting to go to, 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 to live in, to live abroad for the first time and kind of play, play Bourdain, uh, play tourist, but also having a genuine Vietnam experience and, and live here. Well, and now you've been the host of YouTube videos <laughs> doing cooking. Did that, was that like an amazing thing? If you're a fan of Anthony Bourdain, was that just 
Yeah, that all it's so funny because all that stuff happened when I had just barely been here. So it's like so strange. And it's has it's been quite some time since I did that. But the first show was just a cooking show. I did some voiceover work and that was kind of fun. And then it was like a cooking show, which was fun because I love to cook. But then they were like, we're going to do a, sh- a street food review show. And I, you can't help but be like, oh, my God, like I'm I'm on the little stools in Saigon reviewing street food. Of course, like I never the good thing is that a I was super new to the country and still very awkward and not I didn't know really anything about Vietnam. If I could if I would do that show now, I think I'd be a little more seasoned and I would I was so painfully, painfully awkward on camera. Um, but yeah, I admit it was like, it was kind of a, I didn't have that dream. I didn't come here like, oh, I want a TV show or anything. But as I'm sitting there reviewing food with three cameras in my face, yeah, I mean, it, 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 it made me really, really, it's like, wow, that's, that's a thing that I could never have done in Boston. In Boston, someone wasn't saying, hey, you're an insurance underwriter, come review, uh, come make pasta or review this pho or something like that. It was, it was that was uh, a very unique, uh, incredible experience. I'm forever great. I mean, no one watched those, thankfully. They were terrible um, because of me. The company was actually great. Well, I thought I saw it's like 55,000 views. Pfft, I don't think that was mine. I'd be stunned. I think it is. Oh my God, I hope not. But, uh, <laughs> but, but, but it was, even though like I look at them and I cringe and I'm like, oh my God, it's painful. What an experience yeah. to have. And if you do love Bourdain or just food or culture in Vietnam, it was like, uh, I mean, again, not a dream, but very fulfilling and just a cool thing, which is the cool thing to do is like that breaks up kind of the monotony of teaching. It's a common theme on this podcast, and especially for uh, foreigners like ourselves, it's the opportunities here are unknown almost in the way like you didn't come here thinking like I'm going to be doing this uh, TV show or, or YouTube channel video doing cooking. I didn't come here thinking I was going to be doing stand up comedy. You know, when we've done shows at the Hard Rock Cafe with 140 people and I'm just like, what is going on? This yeah. is insane. Doing a podcast and then that's been... When I first saw that the podcast had peaked at number six on the Apple podcast charts in Vietnam, and I'm just like, wait, what? And I was next to like the BBC and some other like big name kind of outlets. I was like, wow. So again, never came here with those intentions. And then that's why I think people... And we talk about it often on this podcast as well. Vietnam is crazy and Saigon is crazy and it drives you wild. But then at the same time, it's amazing. And there's so much, there's so many good things that, that you can do here. Yeah, I, 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 I've been struggling. Like I've had moments where like bad moments and then I'll be on my bike just going somewhere or just whatever I'm doing in Saigon. I'm like, God, like I'll get inspired. I'll have like a moment where like now I don't feel bad. And I'm just like, I'm so happy to live in Saigon. This isn't, it is, it is chaotic and it is frustrating, but it's so fulfilling and it's like fills my heart. And I've been trying to basically figure out how do I take that feeling and channel it into something that I could do, not necessarily even to make money, but just to do something different, to get a creative outlet. How can I take my love and my passion and my, my, my romance, my, my romanticizing of my romanticizing of Saigon and fuel a career or do something like that because it is a magical, spectacular place while being incredibly frustrating. Yeah, it comes up all the time. It's it is the it's what keeps us out here. I think. Right. Yeah. That's a, it's the thing where like it's the most common thing. How how long you've been here? Uh, three years. How long were you supposed to come for? Two weeks. Yeah. Supposed to come for six months. It's ten years later. Six weeks. You six weeks, so five I mean, years later. Okay, so like you're the yeah. so that's the most yeah. right. You nailed it. Yeah. So I knew I was gonna come for. I said one year. It instantly turned to two, and now <laughs> yeah, I'm yeah. like, well, in a in a yeah. pandemic world, I didn't. I'm not. I refuse to put mm-hmm. a timeline on it because it could be three years. It could be ten. I don't know. So we're gonna move on to the the final questions, but before we do that, I'm gonna give uh, a mention. Uh, season six is sponsored by Eddie's New York Deli and Diner, which is in District One and District Two. Have you been to Eddie's? I love Eddie's. Love Eddie's, yeah. That's a perfect answer because they're sponsoring the podcast. <laughs> true answer too. Yeah. So you are an American. Uh, tell me what is your what? Tell me about your Eddie's experience. Yeah. So there's. Uh, I've driven only driven past the one in D1, but I've been physically in the one in in D2, and I've ordered from them. The you know like the that whole team are suit like guy who owns who owns it is super nice guy, and they're just they make 
classic diner food. And I, I spent a lot of time in New York. It just, if yeah, I mean, like, they just make classic diner food. It's really good. It is, like, if you are craving, if you're a, a Westerner here, or it's, I guess, specifically an American, if you are craving that American food, that American breakfast, it's just, why wouldn't, like, it's a diner setting. It looks cool. It's aesthetically really cool with good food. And it, like, just it hits that like it hits that spot of like wanting that western uh sort of nostalgic american experience so eddie's is top notch yeah so make sure check out eddie's <laughs> what a review can't even script that i didn't even we haven't even rehearsed nope. that i didn't even know i was going to ask that question it's true. but it's true um and not even just for americans but i mean myself as a scotsman and, and anytime you go in there you so you see so many people you actually don't see that many americans there as many as you would think, you would think you're just going to only see Americans and you go in and there's people there from all over the world. Yeah, no, that's true. So, yeah, I mean, it's not just an American thing, I guess, but yeah, all over the world. I mean, who doesn't Who doesn't sometimes just want like a, a, a cinnamon bun and pancakes and, and bacon at two in the afternoon or something? Yeah. One of the my personal favorites, which is a very American thing, and I don't even know why, home fries. Oh, yeah. yeah. It's just cubed potatoes. We yep. have potatoes in Scotland. We have fries, but American home fries are... But they're salty and so good. Something good about it. They're really good, yeah. Talking about something that's not good. Oh. One of the questions I'm gonna ask, have you ever tried durian? I have. And it it is correctly put into the category of shit. It is not good. Yeah, it's not good. Everyone, everyone talks about the smell, which is horrible, which is why people talk about it, but also that it it tastes terrible too. So it's a wonderful combination of just being bad. Yeah, it's not. It's really. It was one of the first I remember when uh, when I uh, my then partner we were in the grocery store for the first time here, and she had like a visceral reaction to it. She was like, "What is that?" And she took off, and it didn't bother me as much. But I quickly identified. I'm like, "That's durian." It like sent her like running down the aisle. So it's pretty intense. The thing about durian as well is it's in this spiky hard shell exterior so like that's a sign right away don't eat me don't open this but for some reason some people love it which is fine everyone likes different things i don't get it either it's yeah it's literally it looks like it's in like a like a it's like a in a tank shell with spikes yeah. so yeah it's not meant to be, you shouldn't go into it but it's but who was the first person that was like oh, this is a good idea to open this? i'm gonna eat this uh it, but it's it divides. It's not that is this is not just like a Western thing. It divides people here. People okay. here either love it or hate it. There is no in between. So you can go to a Vietnamese person, but like during the like, no, it's disgusting. So even in Malaysia, we traveled Malaysia, same same thing. It is it it is one. Of, there is no you don't have a um, tempered opinion about it. It's like I love durian or it is vile. Uh, I do not enjoy it. I'm sorry to say if that offends anyone. I I do not like durian. I don't think anyone's offended. Um, now, in Vietnam, you might be shocked to know this, there are 63 million motorbikes for a population of about 96, I think. I think I've heard some form of this stat. Insane. But we're moving in season six, we're now talking about cars because um, in Saigon especially, and there's becoming Vietnam's becoming a wealthier country, you're seeing more and more wealthier cars. So you see on a daily basis, Lamborghinis, Ferraris, Porsche, Bentleys, Rolls Royce, everything you can see. But sometimes the paint job doesn't match the quality of the car. So what's the craziest car that you've seen in Saigon? I don't, you know, it's funny. I don't think I've seen like where I've been like, oh, this is a, this is a crazy car. I think one time I did see like a, you, I think it's funny you said that. I haven't thought about this until you just said it. I think it was actually like you, I think it was, either a Lamborghini or like a Ferrari, like some like, like, like a $200,000 car. And it, the paint job on it was like, like a pastel, like it was terrible. But the, the bigger point that I, that you're making that like, as someone who drives a motorbike here, it's just the, 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 so you talked about how many motorbikes, there are so many cars on the road now and like big SUVs. And it's like buses, I understand they're public transport. They're very much needed here. I'm always like, why would you live in Saigon and have a massive SUV and as and and they're everywhere and they take up literally, and this is not an exaggeration, they take up 85% of any road you go down. So sometimes you'll see a, tr a, a backup of bikes and it's just because we cannot physically get around your massive SUV. It makes me 
I have, I have in America, I had very bad road rage. It's better here, but it, every day when I'm just like, oh yeah, it's, a, it's two buses and an SUV and we're going to be here for 25 minutes because we can't, the road is not set up for it. But you know whose fault that is? Tell me. Americans. Yeah, probably. Yeah. <laughs> we don't have SUVs in Scotland. I mean, we probably do, but not to this the same extent. In America, that's just the normal. It's so common. Family I mean, car. Former former dr- driver of two or three different SUVs. So. <laughs> yeah, there you go. So you're just copying American culture. Okay, right? that but it makes doesn't sense. fit for Saigon. Is is the true point though? The roads do not are not big enough. They're not wide enough. Yeah, and sometimes uh they would take an SUV down a hem, which a hem is uh, if you're not from Vietnam or not being to Vietnam is like a small laneway. It's not meant for an SUV. It's not a hem isn't made for even a mid-sized car, but it's <laughs> yeah. true. Like there's and and they'll go down that hem with a lot of confidence. Like it's no problem. It's like what part? Because of all the, of the, the physical, it's imp- like physically you're trying to break the laws of physics, and then you know there's going to be street carts. So it's like you had no chance of making it through here. It's it is a, I, for. It is. Uh, I always blame Americans. You're right. Uh, uh, bad, bad on us. But here, it just does not make sense. Yeah. The roads are not meant to do it. Yeah. Now, so don't give the same answer then. But what is something that happens in Vietnam that would be looked at strangely in America? <laughs> uh, something that happens in Vietnam. Uh, I there's a few answers you could do for this, but I think it's. I think just the the lack of personal space here uh, in in America outside of if you're in a subway in maybe New York or something, you're you, there's a lot of space and you're not generally touch you know coming into close contact. In Vietnam, it's like like it's just that's not the cultures are different and it's like just very common to just be very much in your someone's personal space and that for someone like me who doesn't love that has had to like really adjust to there's a few things culture that probably americans would not would sort of find strange but there is a lack of people here don't seem to need personal space where like in the west i think it's just more common and we kind of crave it so if you're into a lot of personal space or if you like um quiet you're not going to get it here i promise the one with the personal space the only time it really bugs me is when you're waiting in line and someone has to come right on your shoulder. Yeah. And like, you're like, dude, just take a step back. Like, you don't, it's still a line. Like, if you go one step back, you are still behind me in line. You don't have to be like on my shoulder. That happens all the time. Yeah, it's like you're not, I, you can't physically occupy the same space I am. So I'm not sure what the what the end game <laughs> is here. But yeah, you're going to be brushing up against people. So, I mean, that's just... It's just the thing. It's just, and, and the, um, I mean, people do this in America too, but there, people don't, if you're talking on the phone, speakers on your screen, you're yelling into the phone. I never liked that when people did it in the West. I also do not like it when people do it here, but that also might be my own issue as well. Would you, I've got a joke on that where, um, there's nothing louder than a Vietnamese man on a mobile phone in a lift. Oh yeah. Yeah. Yep. I mean, it is just screaming. Um, It's just screaming. Uh, It almost doesn't even seem like a conversation. It'll seem like they're angry, but they're not. It's just a normal conversation. Like, why are you so mad at this? They're just talking. But I've added to that joke just this week. It's actually no different to two Scottish people. Mm. I thought about it. I was like, yeah, it's exactly two Scottish people told me, all right, how are you doing, mate? All right, we got up the pub after work. All right, how are you doing? I was like, it's honestly probably not that different. It's just a different language. Now, conversely, what is something that happens in America that would be looked at strangely in Vietnam? <laughs> uh, probably like everything. You said it's funny because sometimes the culture there is revered or, or, or you know, they look at it in a very positive way. Uh I think I, this everything in America is different than almost every like on purpose. It's isolated from like, yeah, like every other why we use inches, feet, pounds, and no one else does it. We we're, we use we use you know it's some people here are like oh my god it's thirty degrees out like in America that's very cold. So I'm just like wait it's I mean it's like ninety or a hundred. So everything that is done in America could not be more different than it is done here. So I think maybe even the the lack like that whole American exceptionalism thing. America is like you first don't care about anyone. And the beautiful thing is here is the opposite of that. People are very communal and they want to help you and that kind of stuff. So I just think maybe uh, we talked about it before. We're like, the 
from how the government works to how healthcare works to how people treat each other is so vastly different than everything that's done here. We don't take our shoes off to enter a room. I mean, like everything is really, really, really different. Uh, so probably if you're coming from Asia, Southeast Asia, or maybe particular like Vietnam or Thailand or something like that, going to America, there's there's almost nothing in common. So I think the whole thing would be pretty intense culture shock. Oh, I've just thought of one. Getting a takeaway drink. Mm. You'd be like, why are you giving me all this liquid? Yeah. Takeaway cup. Takeaway drinks in America just don't need to be that big. Well, if well, yeah, that's right. I mean, that's true. Everything and we we consume a lot uh, as Americans. That's actually a good point too. Like just pour everything, food from food portions to prices to like the way. It's true. It's it's everything is ten x as massive as was what it would be here. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. And final question. So, what advice would you give to yourself two years ago before you got to Vietnam? <laughs> Yeah, it was like avoid that pesky pandemic that's about to hit uh, and 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 ruin everything. I uh, I think the advice would be like be be lighter, accept things as they come. Uh, when bad things hit, and they will, um, don't let it consume you. Uh, things here change very rapidly. You're down. You're up. You're down. You're up. Um, I think be more open. Appreciate. Uh, your life here. It's not, it's never, whether I was in Vietnam, Japan, wherever I'd be, Italy, um, there's, I'm, I'm going to stumble and fail. And uh, it's never going to, I'm always going to have strange moments, right? Everything, the happiness isn't linear and doesn't happen, uh, you know, in a, a, on a, on a normal timeline. So I just think honestly, uh, be light, don't let don't carry things around with you and appreciate where you are and how beautiful and uh, incredible this country is. Uh, even in the the even in like the darker times, it's still it's still beautiful to be here uh, versus back home for me. Awesome. Well, thank you very much. Um, tell us quickly what's next for you. You said you've got an article being published soon. What what else is in the pipeline? I'm yeah, I'm, that's like really in the infancy stages too. I'm just about to interview the subject, and then we'll write the article and do a photo shoot for it. And so that's, uh, but that's even that's an experience I could never have had in 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 the U.S. So. Um, that's about you're, you're you're I'm in a very uh I'm in a sort of strange time where I'm trying to figure out what I'm doing next, right? I've been teaching, I've done the YouTube stuff, and I'm trying to figure out what's the avenue to be happy. Like I said, how do I take how this country inspires me and makes me feel good and be creative and do something that 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 fuels me and makes me feel really good. So for you, it's comedy and podcasting. I don't know what it is for me yet. So I'm, I'm in a, it's not a great answer, but I'm in a sort of a strange transition part. So I'm trying to figure that out. So maybe that's relatable to people. I'm not sure, but just trying to be happy, man, trying to figure it out. Uh, yeah. Cool. No, I'm sure you'll get there. I've been through all these. I'm still going through all these phases in life as well. Uh, like you say, happiness isn't linear. Life isn't linear. I'm, trying to not sound like a, a wise old man, but I know I've noticed in my life, and I'm sure you have as well, it, has, it really does have its ups and downs. Life is a roller coaster. Sometimes things are amazing. Sometimes things are not. But at the end of the day, as Bill Hicks said, it's just a ride. It's just a ride. It's a, a, a wild ride here in Saigon. But yeah, that's exactly right. Awesome. Thank you very much. Cheers. Thanks very much for listening to this episode of 7 Million Bikes, a Vietnam podcast. Don't forget to subscribe from wherever you're listening from right now. Turn on the notifications as well so you never miss an episode. If you're new to the podcast, make sure you go back through. We've got five seasons of amazing guests that you can listen to their stories as well. Please get in touch. I always love to hear from our listeners. It's one of the best things when I wake up in the morning and I open up Instagram or Facebook and I've had a message from someone telling me that they've been listening from America or Australia or anywhere in the world. So please let me know where you're listening from or Vietnam as well, obviously. Um, I always love to hear from people. 
I want to give a massive thank you again to our Patreon members, Brandon Thompson and Zion Johnson. If you do enjoy this content, you can support 7 Million Bikes of Vietnam podcast on Patreon. The link is in the show notes. You can become a member of a Vietnam podcast and get access to exclusive member benefits like free tickets to comedy shows or even a free 7 Million Bikes t-shirt as well. So check that out in the show notes, as I said, and you can also buy me a coffee or a beer if you want on coffee.com. So make sure you check that out. So thanks again for listening. Really hope you enjoy season six and you can stay tuned for the future episodes. Cheers. I hope you enjoyed this episode. If you're like me, you may use your laptop at places where you have to use public Wi-Fi. This opens you up to digital snoopers. It's a massive problem. It can be your internet service provider, or you know who, looking at what you do online, or a cyber criminal trying to steal your bank passwords or credit card info, or even a hacker at the next table trying to steal your sensitive data. These days, it is vital that you keep your data safe. NordVPN keeps all of these snoopers away. It makes your internet activity private, protects you from accessing dangerous websites that are fishing for your data, and lets you enjoy your favorite content securely, even while away from home. And it's easy to use, even I could use it. I've actually been using NordVPN for years now here in Vietnam, and I'm excited to be an affiliate partner with them. I've used NordVPN to watch Netflix, BBC, Disney Plus with ease. And I also know that my information and data are safe from prying eyes, whoever they may be. Join now and you'll get 68% off and three months free when you go to my link, nordvpn.com forward slash SMB. Just again, for those hard of hearing, nordvpn.com forward slash SMB. The link is also in the show notes. I know nobody checks them out, but go check that out and you can get the link from wherever you are listening to this podcast. As an affiliate partner, it also means that I will get a small commission when you sign up, but at no extra cost to you. So not only will you be getting a great deal through 7 Million Bikes, you get a great VPN and you'll be supporting 7 Million Bikes podcast. Stay safe online and enjoy the shows you love. Any questions, just let me know. You know how to get in touch with me. And thanks for listening to this show. Cheers.